Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, December the 20th, 2023. It is currently 5.34 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. What, 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, I was downstairs and I'm like, well, it's Wednesday evening. I need to try to figure out what I'm going to do tonight because we're not having in-person services. So I know I've done a broadcast earlier today. What should I do? Should I look at the lectionary? Should I do something dealing with rejoicing or joy? Well, one of the themes of Advent is preparation. So I could do something about spiritual preparation. That that could be good, preparing ourselves. Um, I, I could possibly do something with that. I just had a lot of ideas, but I'm like, you know, I just ate supper. So I know what I'll do. I'll go upstairs, just read maybe for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I'll read something. I've been reading a novel. So maybe I'll read a little of that novel and just kind of figure out, you know, what I'm going to do. And then maybe in about an hour, go live and and, and do something. So I'm just, that's just kind of the way my thinking is. I walk upstairs. I come around to the table. I turn on my MacBook Pro. I open up a web browser and I go to beta.sermonaudio.com. Right. And I'm like, well, it is Wednesday. I know there'll be a number of webcasts going on on the Sermons 2.0 app, beta.sermonaudio.com. However, you may listen to the things presented on that platform. And I'm like, let's just check the webcast. So I was looking at them and someone like the, the kind of little video preview had someone like holding a piece of paper and instead of holding it straight up, it was like turned to its side. And I'm like, I wonder what illustration I wonder what point he's trying to make. So I hit play. And as soon as I hit play, he was referencing Isaiah 53.1. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then he stopped and he said, who is the arm of the Lord? And then someone from the sanctuary answered, and he's like, that's right, brother, it is Jesus Christ. The arm of the Lord is Jesus Christ. And I immediately was like, hmm, interesting. So a lot of times the way I listen to preaching, the way I listen to teaching, is I listen to pastors, what I say, they present their hypotheses based off their study. This is what they think, right? And then I will, it's not even about arguing with it, agreeing or disagreeing. I'm like, okay, they, now maybe I will listen to them present all of their arguments for it. Sometimes I will hit pause and say, I'll go back and listen to their their argument for their hypotheses at a later time. Now, I'm going to take their hypotheses and I'm going to run with it. So I thought, you know what? I knew I was going to read. I knew I was going to wait a little while, but let's just, let's do this. Let's just have an impromptu kind of real time, some form of a Bible study to see what we can figure out. So the hypotheses in front of us this evening, 
Like sometimes this happens when I drive to church and, and then everyone comes walking into the church. I'm like, okay, tonight we're going to do this. And, and, and I love to present people. Here's the theological hypotheses. Here is the hermeneutical hypotheses. Here's the, the textual hypotheses. Now let's work on it. Now I prefer to do that in front of a live audience because then if I'm doing this in front of my congregation, everyone can grab uh, Bible dictionaries, Bible handbooks, commentaries, interlinears, whatever, anything they need. And then we work together to see what we can come up with. A lot of people hate when I do that. As far as listeners, they're like, I just want a sermon. Well, I, I'm not a big fan of the sermon industrial complex, okay? I'm not. I just, I, I, there's many issues I have with that. But I do like when people come together and we work and we study. So this is kind of an impromptu Bible study exercise. That's kind of what this is. I don't know if I'm going to post it as a Bible study exercise. Maybe I'll post it. I could post it under under hermeneutics. I don't know where I will post it, but it doesn't really matter where it ends up. What matters is that right now, I, I do I hear, what do I hear? Do I hear that sound? Do I hear people grabbing their Bibles? Do I hear people grabbing pencils, right? Should sound like this. Everyone should have boxes of pencils, right? Right, right, so everyone should have pencils, notebooks, papers, Books? Yeah, am I hearing? Okay, I think that I'm hearing that. Now, are you ready to work with this, work with this, with me? Are you, are you ready to do that? Now, I don't know what your presupposition is. You may like, I've heard a hundred sermons on Isaiah 53.1. Everyone knows the arm of the Lord is Jesus. Who doesn't know that? Or you may be one who's like, uh, I don't know if I've ever heard that. Whether you know it, whether you think you know it, whether you agree, whether you disagree, can we set that all aside and see if we can test and challenge this hypothesis and see if we can come up with an answer, all right? So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to step back. Let's consider just some basic historical textual context. Then we'll look at Isaiah 53.1 and see what we can come up with. All right. Does, does that, I think that sounds like a good idea. All right. So the first thing I'm going to do is let's just consider some basic context. All right. Using some different, just quickly pulled up commentaries. All right. Isaiah 53.1. First, let me just read the verse again. Isaiah 53.1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Okay, now just, we've got to think this through. If that is a reference to Christ, then how does that fit into the historical context? How does that fit into the textual context? And would that mean anything to the people at the time? Lots of questions we would have. But so here's the context, or a little bit about the context. Isaiah 53.1 is well known and prophetic verse found in the Old Testament. Okay, we know that. To understand its historical and textual context, it is helpful to look at the broader context of the passage. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to you. I, I think that's a good idea. Isaiah 53 is a part of the larger book of Isaiah, which was written by the, by the prophet Isaiah, according to this commentary, during the 8th century B.C., 
or BCE, depending on, you know, what, what, what resources you're looking at, all right? The book of Isaiah contains prophecies, visions, and messages from God concerning the nation of Israel and their relationship with God. And I think that's always important. When you're dealing with the book of Isaiah, it's talking about things related to the nation of Israel. I know if you're all millennial, if you're looking at a Matthew Henry commentary, everything ultimately ends up referencing the church or spiritual Israel. But I mean, it's about the nation of Israel, all right? Isaiah 53 specifically addresses the suffering and salvation of the servant of the Lord. Now, that's very important. You may want to write down that phrase, the servant of the Lord. The servant is described as bearing the sins and afflictions of the people, bringing about redemption and reconciliation through his sacrificial suffering. Now, I think we, we, we could do, can we see that a little bit? All right. Because it says, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed for he shall grow up before him. And then you see, you see in verse three, he is despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows. All right. That, that gets us somewhere. I think that, I think we're getting close to, to now maybe being able to, we know clearly these verses in Isaiah 53, when you start reading them, we, we know are we, we assume, our presupposition is, remember any current study, we don't rely on past presuppositions, but I think most of us would say that sounds like it's referring to Christ. All right, but we'll, we'll stay with that. We'll stay with that. We'll, we'll, we will consider that here in a minute, all right, because we have just some basic questions we would have to answer. But Isaiah 53 specifically addresses the suffering and salvation of the servant of the Lord. The servant is describing as bearing the sins and afflictions of the people, bringing about redemption and reconciliation through his sacrificial suffering. The historical context of Isaiah 53 is important to consider. During the time of Isaiah's ministry, Israel was experiencing political unrest and the threat of invasion from neighboring nations. The prophecy of Isaiah 53, among others, offers hope and reassurance to the people of Israel during this uncertain and challenging time. In terms of textual context, Isaiah 53 comes after chapters 52, 13 through 15, where the servant is introduced as one who will be exalted and lifted up despite being marred and disfigured. Isaiah 53, 1 says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This verse serves as an introduction to the prophecy of the suffering servant and highlights the skepticism and disbelief that surrounds the message of the servant's redemptive work. Overall, the historical context of political turmoil and the textual context of the prophecy of the suffering servant provide a backdrop for understanding Isaiah 53.1 and its significance within the larger narrative of the book of Isaiah. Now, before we read anything else, Here's what we need to try to establish, right? Let's just, again, we're just doing this. This is impromptu. We're just taking a, I, I listen to like a 10 second clip and I hear something. And I'm like, oh, oh, let's take that as a hypothesis and let's test it. Here is the obvious question. You ready? Is Isaiah 53.1 quoted in the New Testament? If so, where and how is it quoted what is the quote being used for? And does I does the quote of it in the New Testament point to something, a specific event, a specific time, or a specific individual? 
That's what we need to know. If I was in church, I would have everyone start looking this up. Let's see what we can find quickly. First, I'm just going to look at the, uh, I'm going to look at two Bibles that I have in front of me. Now, remember, we're doing this in real time. Now, when I look here at Isaiah 53.1, I have no cross-reference. I have no cross-reference to Isaiah 53.1. None. There's none given here. So that, that is of not helpful. So I'm going to set that Bible down. I'm going to pick up a different Bible. Isaiah 53.1. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, if I look at this, I have, let's see here. I have a possible reference to John 12.38, according to this Bible. Okay, John, uh, okay, I'm looking here. Yeah, I'm making sure I'm not misreading this. John 12, 38. Okay, I have no idea what that says. Let's look at it. John 12, 38. John 12, 38. This, that, the saying of Isaiah, or uh, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay, okay, now wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have, we have a, a direct quote, all right? So I'm going to go back and see if we can pick up context here, all right? I'm going to see if we can pick up context here. We're in John chapter 12, um... Then uh, let's go back to verse 31. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This is this he said, signifying what death he should die. So Jesus is offering kind of a prophecy of his ultimate death that he will and that he's going to be crucified. The people answer him, we have heard uh, out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. Then, continuing in verse 36 of John 12, These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Verse 37, But though he had done... But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Now, this is verse 38. That, now, so, but though he had done many miracles before him, yet they believed not him. So they did not believe on him. And then it says, verse 38, that the saying of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. So who will believe our report? It, that seems to be the focus here. Well, they didn't believe. Well, why didn't they believe? Because God blinded their eyes. He hardened their heart. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, many of the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. So that seems to be more a cross-reference focusing on uh, Isaiah 53.1, who hath believed our report? 
Doesn't seem to be speaking about the arm of the Lord there, but who hath believed our report? All right, so let's go back and look for another cross-reference. The next cross-reference that I have here is Romans 10.16. Romans 10.16. Romans 10.16, we have this. Romans 10.16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So once again, both these references in the New Testament, it's not so much to the arm of the Lord, it's to who hath believed our report. That seems to be the emphasis to those cross-references. Let's see if there's any more cross-references here. The next cross-reference seems to be, uh, let's see here. Well, they don't have much here. They kind of point to, it looks like Hebrews 10.18. Hebrews 10.18. Let's see what we find here. 10.18. That's no help. Now, where remission of this is, there is no more offering for sin. Okay, that's that's not helpful. All right, I'm good. So that Bible gets us to to the phrase, who hath believed our report, but they don't do anything with the arm of the Lord. All right, so let's try this. Let's try this. I'm going to now go to, let me see here. I'm going to go to Google. I'm going to type in Isaiah 53.1. Now we're all doing this in real time together, okay? I'm going to go to BibleHub.com because that's where I always end up. All right. They give me all the English translations. Cross-references. They give me uh, Luke 18.31. Then Jesus took the 12 aside and said, look, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything the prophets have written about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. That's Luke 18.31. John 12.38. This was to fulfill the words of Isaiah, the prophet, Lord, who hath believed the message, and to whom the arm of the Lord hath been revealed. Romans 10.16. But not all them welcome the good news, for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our message. So the cross-references, again, do not focus on the arm of the Lord. It does not focus on the arm of the Lord. So cross-referencing-wise... I don't know if we can identify just with pure, just pure cross-referencing on that phrase, the arm of the Lord. I, I, I don't know if we can get it there. If we look at the phrase arm of the Lord, I'm going to see if I can do a, I'm going to go to the Blue Letter Bible app. I'm going to type in, is it capitalized? No, it is not. I'm going to go arm of the, and then Lord is capitalized. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to put that all caps. I'm going to do a search. All right, arm of the Lord. Well, in uh, Exodus 6:6, 6, 6, we have wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will rid you out of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. Not not really the same phrase. Exodus 15:16, the great the same kind of concept. Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm. Numbers 31.3, and Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves, not very helpful. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.34, um, oh, Or hath God assayed 
to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs, and by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm. Now, when it does refer to God's stretched out arm, it seems to not be referencing a person. It seems to be referencing God himself and his power, his action, right? So, all right, let's go to... uh, Let's see here. That was Deuteronomy 4.34, Deuteronomy 5.15. Same thing. And by a stretched out arm, therefore the Lord thy God uh, commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 7.19. And the stretched out arm, one same concept, same idea that we've already talked about, Deuteronomy 11.2. Uh, his mighty hand, his stretched out arm, again, reference his power, his action, Deuteronomy 26, 8, with an outstretched arm, he brought them out of Egypt, same concept, showing his power, his action, um, 2 Kings 17, 36, but the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a stretched out arm, once again, it's not the arm of the Lord, but it's the concept, God's arm represents his power and his action, 2 Chronicles 32, 8, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us. All right. So that's using arm of not referring to God in any way. Isaiah 30, 30, and the Lord God shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and shall show the lightning down of his arm with the indignation of his anger. Once again, arm, power, action. Isaiah 33, 2, uh, oh, O Lord, uh, O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their army every morning. Our salvation also is in, is in the time of trouble. Uh, but be thou their arm every morning. I, I said army. Uh, so, okay, nothing there. Isaiah 51, 9. Um, we're getting close. Awake, awake, put on the strength. O arm of the Lord, awake. As in the ancient days, in the generation of old, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and one wounded the dragon. Again, this, the arm of the Lord seems to be referring to his power, his action, not necessarily, I don't know if a person. All right, Isaiah 52, 52, 10, the Lord hath made bare his holy arm and the eyes of all nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now, is that a reference to, again, a person or is it a reference to God's action? 53, 1, which is what we're currently looking at. Isaiah 62, 8, the Lord hath sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Jeremiah 48, 5, uh, the horn of Moab is cut off and his arm is broken. Again, it's, and then, and then uh, John 12, 38. So if we do cross-referencing from Isaiah 53, 1, we don't really get to anything that identifies the arm of the Lord. If we do a cross-reference to the phrase itself, arm of the Lord, in the whole Bible, we don't seem to get anywhere. So that's not helping us too much, is it? That's, that's, not, uh, that's not super helpful. So what are our other options? Now, this is where, again, if I was in front of a live audience tonight, I would then probably do a lot of pausing here and a lot of silence. And I would just let them look at each other. I would tell them to talk it amongst themselves. Sometimes they, sometimes people, when I do this at church, they just kind of look at me like we're not saying anything. They won't talk. They just kind of stare at me for about two or three minutes. And finally I cave and I'm like, okay, let's work on this together. But this time I think I would wait 
and say, hey, help me out here. What does this mean? Is the arm of the Lord a person? Does the phrase arm of the Lord refer to Jesus Christ? And if it does in Isaiah 53, 1, is, is that okay that no other places where this similar language is used seems to be doing the same thing? Like, what is our hermeneutical rules that we're utilizing here? Well, let's, let's look at at least one commentary. And Isaiah 53, 1. The arm of the Lord is a metaphorical expression that refers to the power and strength of God. Throughout the Bible, the arm of the Lord is often used as a symbol of God's might and ability to act on behalf of his people. Now, that seems to be consistent with everything we just quickly went through. I know I was just kind of reading parts of those verses quickly, but you can you can do the same cross-referencing that I did using the Blue Letter Bible app or any other tool. So that so the the rest of the Bible would not say the arm is definitely a person. It would not it would not point me in that direction. So at this point if we look at the hypotheses, now remember in the, in, in the message that I listened to, I didn't wait for him to support his argument. I don't think even, I don't think he was going to support his argument. He just made it, he just said it. Well, he just asked it and someone in the congregation said it and he was like, that's right, brother. And they just moved on as if everyone should just know it. I took it as then, okay, that's his hypothesis. Now let's see if we can test it. Now this commentary though goes on. So th- This commentary acknowledges that if you look at the phrase arm of the Lord throughout the Bible, it's metaphorical expression referring to God's basically power, ability, him, his action. However, this commentary states that in the context of the Isaiah 53, 1, there may be textual justification for understanding the phrase as not necessarily being metaphorical, but actually pointing to a specific person. Are you ready to hear their argument? Are you ready? Here we go. I have to grab a pencil here. I have to grab a pencil. I just feel like I need a pencil for this part. Here we go. In the context of Isaiah 53, the arm of the Lord is associated with the servant mentioned in the previous verses. Oh, stop here, stop here, stop here. Let's go back to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. And let's start in verse 13. Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. So shall he sprinkle many nations and the kings shall shut their mouths at him for that which had not been told them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Now, this right here, 
they are saying the servant here. This phrase, the arm of the Lord, is connected to the servant, or we could argue they're claiming the servant is the arm of the Lord. So if we can identify the servant, they're arguing that textually, then we can identify the arm with the servant. So if we can identify the servant, then we identify the arm. That, that's the argument. So, what cross-references do we have in Isaiah 52, 13 through 15? Now, I've got a number. Let's see here. Uh, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred. So marred. Now, they, once again, they don't, they don't really point us anywhere. They, they, the best they do is point us to Hebrews 10, 18 and Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, which does not help me in any way, shape or form. Uh, they go on. Uh, yeah, that's, they don't offer any other cross references. Now, looking at the 1917 Schofield Bible, it says that the literal uh, uh, rendering is terrible. So marred from the form of man was his aspect that his appearance was not that of the son of man, not human. The effect of the brutalities described. And then they point to Matthew 26, 67 and 68 and 27, 27 through 30, which does speak of the brutalities that Jesus suffered. But does it quote Isaiah? Does it quote Isaiah? Well, the passages they give us is Matthew 26, Matthew 26, 67, and 68. Matthew 26, 67, and 68. Matthew 26, 67. They did spit in his face, buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms, of, of their hands saying, prophesy unto the, uh, uh, us, thou Christ, who is it that smote thee? Right. That doesn't have any quote from Isaiah. It doesn't reference Isaiah. Nothing. All right. Then they quote, uh, then they point to Matthew 27, Matthew 27, 27 through 30. Matthew 27, 27 through 30. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, gathered unto him a whole band of soldiers. They stripped him, put on him a robe. They plaited a crown of thorns. They put it upon his head, a reed in his right hand. They bowed, they mocked him, they spit upon him, they smote him. Nothing is quoted from Isaiah. So it doesn't appear that there is a direct quote, at least not what I'm seeing initially, right? Oh, wait, I know what we can do. I know what we can do. Hang on. There's one other thing we can do here. There's one other thing we can do here. Isaiah 52. Hang on, hang on. I'm going to go back to Isaiah. I'm going to go Isaiah 52. Going back to Google, Isaiah 52. And what verse is it specifically that talks about his, his being marked? Verse 14. Isaiah 52, 14. I'm going to go to BibleHub.com. Cross-references. No cross-references in the New Testament. All right. So we still don't have... Say, everyone is saying, hey, the servant is Jesus. The servant is Jesus. And I'm not saying it's not. 
I'm saying that so far, they say the, some are going to say the, I mean, the hypotheses that we're looking at is that the arm of the Lord is Jesus. We looked at uh, the phrase arm of the Lord throughout the Bible. We don't have it referencing a person. It's referencing God's power and ability. All right. Even commentaries acknowledge that the phrase arm of the Lord is a metaphorical expression pointing to Christ, to, to the power and ability of God. So that does not help us. All right. In any way, shape or form. We look to New Testament cross references for the arm of the Lord does not yet again point us to Jesus. It does not. So then we start looking at uh, some commentaries. They say, well, the arm is the servant. So we go back and they say the servant is mentioned in Isaiah 52. And they're like, hey, this is Jesus. And they say that that fact that he is so marred has to be pointing to Jesus. Well, we did a cross reference. We still don't find a specific statement. So let's, let's continue reading. All right. Let's continue reading. All right. Uh, let's look at chapter 53, verse one, then who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. Now stop right here. Now the text, just from a textual standpoint, stay with me. Now I know whenever I start doing this, when I start raising these questions and challenging See, this is the one good thing about doing it in an empty study. The people who are getting mad and are kind of bowing up and want to start arguing with me, I can't see you. (laughs) When you're in church, you can see people start getting uncomfortable and they're like, no, 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 but it has to be. And you're like, you set aside your presupposition. This is the way you do hermeneutics. You don't bring your presupposition to the text. I don't care what you've been told. You set it aside. We may still end up where you think we should. You just got to be patient. Now, if I read Isaiah 53, 1, who hath believed our report? To me, the question then is the who. Who hath believed? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's the who and the whom that the text seems to be working on identifying. But in the little 30 second, you know, section that I heard of a webcast, they just, they, they weren't talking about the who or the whom. They were talking about who is the arm of the Lord. And they, and they identified the arm of the Lord as a person. And then that person is revealed to some or maybe not be revealed to some, which that does follow the cross reference in John where, Hey, the reason some people believed is, well, some people didn't believe is because God blinded them. He hardened their hearts. So that fits to some level. But even in in John, it did not mention the arm of the Lord. So what are we going to do? Well, it's the next verse. 53.2. Now, I'm going to go back to the Blue Letter Bible app. And I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to go to 53.2. Because this seems to be grammatically where maybe we identify. So follow me and see if this makes any sense. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. We're basically having a hermeneutics class is basically what we're doing. All right. Here we go. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The who and the whom there, I think, is what you would typically spend your time working on. But because we have a hypothesis that's been presented, we're working on who is the arm of the Lord? Is Is it a person? And, and the assumption is that it is. And this is, how it, this is how everyone reads this. Are you ready? Here we go. This is Isaiah 53. One of us said 52. I apologize. 53.1. Here we go. Who hath believed our report? 
And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Question mark. Verse 2 in the King James. For he. Who is the he? Does the he go back to the arm of the Lord? Or does he go back to the servant mentioned in 52.13? Is he picking up the servant in 53? Or does he go back to the arm of the Lord? Is the arm of the Lord a he? Now, this is where I, I, I would need all of the people who are the experts in grammar and how to follow this and how to diagram sentences. This is where I need those experts. Obviously, many preachers see for he, and they're like, the he is the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord is a person, even though it's not used that way anywhere else. Everywhere else, the arm of the Lord simply refers to God and his power. It's a metaphorical expression referring to his power and ability. They're like, no, 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 no. The arm is the he. Not the servant, the he, or they say the servant is the arm and the arm is the servant. And so he goes back to the arm because the arm is the servant. The arm of the Lord is identified in 5213. But I don't know, is the arm just synonymous? It's the same thing as the servant. That is the hermeneutical question I am presenting to you. And I love to get, I, I almost want to leave it right there and just say, okay, there's your Bible study exercise. Go forth and fix it. But let's let's do a little reading because I think we may be able to at least come to one dogmatic thing. All right, here we go. For he shall for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground, and he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. That's 53:2. Now I'm going to look for any Cross-references to 53.2. Now, 53.2, I do not have any cross-references here to the New Testament. Right? I don't have uh, any cross-references to the New Testament. So, that still doesn't uh, uh, completely help us. Let's, let's see if the next one does. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's Isaiah 53, 3. All right. Let's go to Isaiah 53, 3. See if I can find any cross references. Isaiah 53, 3. All right. Um, I have Mark 10, 33. Have Mark 10, 33. Look, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priest scribes and they will condemn him to death and, and he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Not helpful. Mark 10, 34. Who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Not helpful. Luke 18, 31. Then Jesus took the 12 aside. Look, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything the prophets have written about the son of man will be fulfilled. Okay, now that makes at least a reference to something the prophets have been fulfilled. It's not a direct quote. Uh, John 1, 10. He was in the world and though the world did not, that's not helpful. John 1, 11, He came to his own and received him not. No, we don't have a direct reference again. We do not have a direct coral. We don't have a direct verse that's quoting this and applying it to Jesus. All right. Let's read the next verse. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. All right. Let's go to the next verse. That's verse four. 
Do we have a cross-references? We look at cross-references. Oh, okay. Now, Matthew 8, 17, this was to fulfill that which was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took on our affirmities and carried our diseases. Hmm. Is that, is that getting us close? I'm going to go to Matthew 8, 17 really quick. I'm going to go to Matthew 8, 17. I'm going to mark Isaiah 53. I'm going to go to Matthew 8, 17. Is this, is this gets us as close as we can? Is this, is this it? Have we, have we finally gotten there doing this a hermeneutically way? This might be that it might be fulfilled, which the spoken by Isaiah, the prophet saying himself took on our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. All right. Um, and do we have here? Okay. I don't have. A good cross-reference here. I'm going to look at all these cross-references. I'm going to look at all these cross-references. All right. I'm not seeing anything. Hang on, hang on. No, see. Isaiah 53, 4. All right. So they point to Isaiah 53, 4. There we go. If that points to Isaiah 53, if Matthew 8, 17 references uh, Isaiah, then we can say, clearly, if you look at the context of Matthew there, because it's what Jesus is doing, right? So um, it talks about Jesus healing, and then it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, all right? So that that's pointing to, to Jesus healing is a part of the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 4, which says... Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet he was indeed esteemed and stricken, smitten of God, and was afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All right? Uh, they quote 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins on the body, uh, that he might die to sin, by his stripes you are healed. So once again, it seems the New Testament definitely points to Jesus being the fulfillment of this individual mentioned in Isaiah 53. Now, the question is, the individual in Isaiah 53, do we have two, is this individual known by two names? Servant and arm of the Lord are just servant. Or is arm of the Lord a reference to that servant or is arm of the Lord its own metaphorical thing that, hey, who hath believed our report and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the arm of the Lord is showing God's power and action and does not arm of the Lord then reference in a metaphorical way that Christ is that power and that action. All right, someone... Um, Okay, now someone uh, says, I got interrupted. Uh, does Isaiah 2.15 help set a context on the revealing, which could be the person talked about, then goes directly into the revealed in 3.1? Okay, I definitely have not gone that far back. I think if I go back all the way to Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 3, I don't know if I can carry everything from there all the way over to Isaiah 53. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. Oh, 52.15. All right, 52.15. Yes, we talked about 52.15. Uh, so shall he sprinkle many nations of the kings. He shall shut their mouths. 
that they had not been told that they should see and that they had not heard, shall they consider? Uh, hang on, all right. 52 and 53, not two and three. All right, so. All right, so if you're looking at 52, 15, I'm not quite seeing where you're going with that. Not quite sure I'm seeing where you're going with that. There is a... Now, the he in 52.15 is the servant. So the servant is going to sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, shall they consider. So I think this is a reference to the servant. And I think the servant is the he in 53.2. For he shall grow up. So I believe the servant is the he, the servant in 53.2. 13 through 15 is the he and 53, two and following. I don't think there's any question there. The argument is the servant and the he and 53, two is the arm of the Lord. And when it references the arm of the Lord, the arm of the Lord is that servant. But I'm not so sure about that. I'm at least questioning it, playing the devil's advocate here, just from a hermeneutical standpoint that everything, anytime you look at the arm of the Lord, it's not so much a reference to a person. It's a metaphorical, it's a metaphorical way of saying God's power and God's action. So who hath believed the report? Well, no, nobody had believed the report according to John who, re, who, who does a cross reference or references back to Isaiah 53.1. Why did they not believe? Because God blinded them. He hardened their hearts. All right. The arm of the Lord. Who has he revealed the arm of the Lord to? He revealed his arm, which is a metaphorical way of his power and his action, which Christ, I'm not saying that the arm of the Lord is a direct reference to Christ, but Christ, in a sense, is demonstrating that power and that action because of what he did and what he does. Maybe that's a distinction that doesn't really have a difference, maybe, 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 you know, maybe it's a distinction with no difference, but I just think the arm is more of a metaphorical way of saying his power and action, and the servant is describing the individual. The servant is Christ, and Christ, and what he does, he demonstrates, metaf- and, and, and in a literal way, Christ, or God's metaphorical power and action. The argument is the arm is a reference to Christ. And I just don't know. Now, grammatically, if you can say he in 53, 2 directly goes back to the arm in 53, 1, then you would have a grammatical argument. I believe the arm carries its same basic meaning that it does throughout the entire Bible and that it's almost like a it's it's almost a question interrupting this narrative about the servant then the servant narrative starts again in 532 that's my current discussion based off all the cross referencing now if i go back to a commentary they say this all right so they say in isaiah 531 
The arm of the Lord is a metaphorical expression that refers to the power and strength of God. Throughout the Bible, the arm of the Lord is often used as a symbol of God's might and ability to act on behalf of his people. In the context of Isaiah 53, the arm of the Lord is associated with the servant mentioned in the previous verses. The servant is believed by many to be a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. The arm of the Lord being revealed can be understood as the unveiling and manifestation of God's redemptive plan through the suffering and sacrificial work of the servant. The verse itself poses a rhetorical question, emphasizing the lack of belief and understanding among the people regarding the significance of the servant and the redemptive work that he will accomplish. So, in summary, the army, uh, the arm of the Lord in Isaiah 53.1 represents the power and strength of God, and its revelation points to the unfolding plan of redemption through the suffering servant, widely interpreted as Jesus Christ and Christian theology. So they, they see, they try to make the same distinction I'm trying to make. The arm is just a metaphorical way saying, who has God revealed his power and his action to? Well, many have not believed the report. Why? Because God didn't reveal it. He blinded it. He hardened their hearts. But to those, he does reveal it in a sense. He does open metaphorically their spiritual eyes and bring them to salvation. They see it. And where do they see the power? Where do they see the arm of the Lord in action? Because that's a metaphorical phrase just demonstrating power and action. It's the servant. The servant, which does not look like power, does not look like action. It looks like failure. It looks like defeat. It looks the opposite. The arm of the Lord always is like this great display of his power, like bringing them out of Egypt, destroying nations, destroying enemies, plagues, judgment. It's usually done in this very powerful way, but for them, they're going to see Christ and they're not going to say, that's, that's, this servant is, is the example of God's power and action. No, no, they're not going to see it because it's going to be well, he's going to be marred. He's going to be, he's going to be beaten. He's going to be sped upon. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be killed. It looks like defeat. But in that defeat of the, what appears to be the defeat of the servant, God's arm is there and we see it if it is revealed to us. To me, the arm is a metaphorical expression demonstrating or pointing to God's power and action. They don't see God's power and action. They see this servant. This servant looks weak. He looks defeated. He looks broken. He looks humbled, humiliated, tortured, and killed. They don't believe the report because God has blinded them and hardened their heart. To those whom he has revealed it, they see the power of God in action. I don't think the arm of the Lord is Jesus. The arm of the Lord is God's power in action, which is made manifest in Jesus. Jesus is the servant. The arm of the Lord is the metaphorical expression of what Christ is doing, even though it cannot be perceived. Because if you look at it with just a human perspective, you don't see power. You don't see action. You see defeat and failure. I think that there is a difference there. 
Now I'm going to do something. I hope this this is where this is where I wish everyone was in the sanctuary right now because then uh, everyone would look at me right now and I bet you I'd get a lot of looks like we, we don't understand. I think because right now I'm hearing I'm hearing right now people sitting at home going, "Do you know what he's talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. Why do you listen to that stupid podcast? That guy's an idiot." Okay, I understand. I hear that right now. But I think I'm trying to make a very important distinction and I don't know if people are catching on, but I'm going to ask this. I'm going to put who is Hang on, I'm doing I'm doing a, a I'm asking a question. I'm going to because I think a certain website's going to pop up with an answer. Hang on, here we go. Uh no. Actually, not the site that I thought would uh, would pop up. There's a lot of discussions about it, okay? A lot of discussions. I could start pulling. I thought there was going to be just one that popped up right at the beginning. Boom. But it did not. It did not. Uh Okay, see, now this one goes to that the arm of the Lord is a person. The arm of the Lord is a person. The arm of the Lord is a person. But see, I just don't, I don't know if I agree with that. We did the cross-referencing. Not in any of those places, the arm of the Lord wasn't a reference to a person. The arm of the Lord was a reference to God's power and his action in delivering Israel from bondage, from removing them from Egypt. The arm of the Lord, I believe, is a metaphorical concept that just, it's a metaphorical way of saying God's power and God's action. It's his arm. The arm is, you know, where you do something, you grab something, you pick up something, you lift something, you hit something, you smash something, you throw something. It's, it's metaphorical. And so I believe what you have here is this contrast. I think, I think you have a contrast. Here's this servant. Wait, he's going to be beaten? He's going to be tortured? He's going to be killed? Okay, that, that sounds like a weak servant. That sounds like someone who's, who's going to be defeated. And then, meta, then a rhetorical question. Hey, who has believed our report? Who has the uh, arm of the Lord been revealed? And people are going to, well, obviously the arm of the Lord hasn't been revealed because we're looking for power. We're looking for might. We're looking for victory. We're looking for the defeat of our enemies. Well, they don't see it because God had blinded and hardened their hearts. And that's what the Jews were looking for. They wanted power. They wanted glory. They wanted defeat of their enemies. And here's this suffering servant and they don't see it. But in that suffering servant, if God doesn't blind you and doesn't harden your heart and does reveal it to you in salvation, grant you the faith, by faith, you see the arm of the Lord. You see the power of God at work in a broken body on a bloody cross. I think you're getting a a, a very, you have the suffering servant right in the middle with this phrase, arm of the Lord, and the arm of the Lord, when you do all the cross references, is about power and might. Which once again demonstrates that eyes of faith has to see what our physical eyes would never see. Faith sees power where our our physical eyes would see death and defeat. 
our by faith, we see victory, we see glory, we see honor, we see salvation, we see deliverance. Our physical eyes would see, well, the guy got himself killed and he died between, you know, criminals. Yeah, whatever. So who hath believed? Well, not those whom God had blinded and hid from them. But in Christ, in the servant, the servant is Jesus, the idea of the arm of the Lord, power and action is made manifest. But I don't think the arm of the Lord itself is, a, is that's Jesus. I think the arm of the Lord maintains its textual meaning, which is a metaphorical expression of God's power and action. All right. Everything got very silent in the chat. That makes me very nervous. If you're listening, I don't care how you're listening. If you can open up the Spreaker app and say, yes, that makes sense. And then say something like, wow, that was awesome. That was amazing. I'll pay you $50. Okay, but maybe I'm not going to pay you $50. But at least I know that someone gets it, okay? Because I don't know if... I'm trying to make a very, very, very important distinction based off, well, our hermeneutical study right there. We just, we did did all the cross-referencing in the world. The things that reference Jesus as the servant. And I don't believe the servant or he in 53.2 goes back to the arm of the Lord. I believe that he goes back to the servant in 53.52.13-15. And I think the arm of the Lord maintains its contextual meaning that it's that's used throughout the... I don't think we, the meaning of that changes dramatically. And Isaiah 53.1, I think it maintains the same meaning that it has throughout the Bible. Where it's not a reference to a person. It's a reference to the attribute, an attribute of God, his power and his action. So I'm making a distinction and I'm making the distinct because I think the distinction sets up the contrast. And I think the contrast is where the money is there. I think that's the power there. The servant does not look like the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord is a metaphorical expression of power and action. Jesus looks like someone who the power is being exerted on him and he's being crushed and destroyed under it. But by faith, we see that it was the opposite. He was defeating sin, death, and the devil. All right. This silence is concerning. I'm going to assume (laughs) no one got what I'm trying to say. That's okay. That's okay. You can email me where you disagree with me. News if at yahoo.com news if at yahoo.com that's news if at yahoo.com I've at least giving I've laid it all out you can you may have a grammatical argument that the he in 53.2 goes back to the arm of the Lord and you may win that battle grammatically I'm not gonna by no means am I gonna say I'm an expert I believe the he goes back to the servant and the rhetorical question in 53.1 maintains the contextual meaning of the arm of the Lord that is used throughout the Bible. And then that sets up the the million-dollar contrast, which to me is powerful. 
All right, I'm waiting. All right, nobody's going to say anything. Now, historically, silence is a bad, (laughs) bad sign. But that's okay. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. I've presented a hypothetical, or I'll, I'll put it this way. I've put a a, thil, a hermeneutical hypo- hypothesis. All right. Okay. All right, good. Someone says, I think you articulated the distinction well. The other one just laughed and says, thank you. That's concerning. <laughs> when you just get laughter and a thank you, that's typically what that means is, <laughs> thank you, never coming back to this church again. Okay, that's what that means. That is, <laughs> thank you, never listening to this podcast again. This is, <laughs> you don't want to hear what everyone in this house is saying about you right now. Okay, I don't know what's going on, but I, I'm going to kind of say that's where I stand now. But remember, this was an impromptu here is a hypothesis. Let's test it. And I did my best to test it. It would be, <laughs> someone said, hey, no, that's not what I said. Well, maybe it's not what you said, but it was definitely much more fun to interpret it that way, right? I think it was much more fun. It definitely made it much more dramatic, made it much more, I, I mean, come on. That's, you got it. We got it. I, I got to give the listeners something like, "Ooh, did you see what that person did in chat? They they hated it. They were mu- making fun of him. They see that's that adds drama, and drama is where it's all at, right? Nobody wants Bible. Nobody cares about hermeneutics. They need we need something more to sell this episode, right? I got to give them something, right? So, all right. Hopefully, it was beneficial. Hopefully, it was beneficial. But you can look at it. So now you have your Wednesday evening for you. Isaiah 52, 13 through Isaiah 53. There's no question the servant is Jesus. I think we proved that with cross-referencing. No question who hath believed our report is quoted in the New Testament. And it says, who hath believed our report? Why have they not believed our report? Because God is blinded and hardened their hearts. And arm of the Lord is a metaphorical expression, represent God's power and action. The servant, even though it is carrying out God's power and action, it doesn't appear to be doing that because he's being defeated. But the servant is the person. The arm of the Lord is a metaphorical expression of the power and action that that person may be carrying out, but I don't think it's a direct reference to the person. And so I think that's a very important distinction because we're making a distinction based on where the text is leading us. All right. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Based on feedback and response, we will see if we have to turn this microphone on again and talk about it. If we do, I will. And if I don't, well, then I will not. Everyone have a great night. Enjoy your time in Isaiah 52 and 53. And may it, may it prove to be a blessing, even if you disagree with me. Thanks for listening. God bless.